Is God real? That question may have been answered in your mind a long time ago. But for people around the world, it's on their hearts and their minds so much that every second, dozens of people will get on some search engine and type in some form of that question, Is God real? Today at the Radio Backyard Fence, an investigative journalist and former atheist tackles that ultimate question for skeptics and believers alike. You hear a lot about deconstruction. He says he deconstructed his atheism. Lee Strobel's coming up today on Chris Fabry Live, and I am glad that you are with us, friend. Find out more about us online at chrisfabrylive.org. Thanks to the team working behind the scenes. Ryan Conahay doing all things technical. Trisha's in the chair today. Our producer, Lynn, will be answering your calls. Real quickly, I finished Dr. Bill Thrasher's book this morning, and the overwhelming, overarching question he has implanted in my heart is simple yet profound. Here's the question. Lord, what do you want me to believe you for today? (laughs) What is it in my life that I can give to you that will help me exercise my faith and my trust in you so that I grow closer to you. You put that question at the top of your list, it will change the way you look at your day, your life, the struggles that you have, what God might be doing through some of the hard stuff you're facing right now. I would not suggest it if I didn't believe it would be helpful. And for a week or two more, it's our thank you to anybody who supports us and what we do here at the Back Fence, call 866-95-FABRY. Give a gift of any size. We'll send you How to Resurrect a Dead Prayer Life, 866-953-2279. Or just go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org. Scroll down. You'll see how you can be a friend or a partner today. chrisfabrylive.org. Lord, what do you want me to believe you for today? Think about that. Pray that audacious prayer and see what happens. And thanks for your support. There was a woman named Leslie. Her husband was an atheist. She had become a Christian, and he found out about it, and he said, basically, okay, you can go to that church, but don't give him any of our money. (laughs) Lord, what do you want me to believe you for today? Her answer, I believe, knowing the story, at some point, her answer to that question was the salvation of her husband, Lee. And Lee is back. You probably know his story from his landmark book and the film, The Case for Christ. He's a former award-winning legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, earned his journalism degree, University of Missouri, was awarded a Ford Foundation Fellowship to study at Yale Law School. He is now founding director of the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University. He's joining us from Denver today, and our featured resource is... Is God Real? Exploring the Ultimate Question of Life. Click through today's information at chrisfabrylive.org. Lee Strobel, welcome back. How are you feeling today? I'm doing great, uh, Chris. Thanks for asking, and uh, blessings to you and Andrea. I remember uh, coming to your home many years ago and doing a live show from your house and all your great hospitality, and it was just so special. So we think fondly of uh, the both of you. We're still here. We're still at the same place, and I'm still wearing the same shorts. 
<laughs> no, I'm, I wear a three-piece suit every time I do the program. I don't wanna, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so last time you were going to be on with us, you weren't feeling that well. Right. And uh, so we you know, now we get to do this, which maybe it's better because you're out of the, not only you're, are you feeling better, but you're out of the, the maelstrom, the tornado of the publicity and all that. So you can think even more clearly, right? Yeah, this is great. Plus, I lost 30 pounds in the uh, illness that I had. So I'm, I'm lighter and leaner. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear it. Okay, so back on when you were supposed to be here, somebody got in touch. It was an email, Facebook, can't remember. But it was this message about you being on the program. And the comment was something like, I wonder if Lee will reveal which God is real. Mm-hmm. Do you get that question very much? Yeah, yeah, and that's obviously the important question because, um, you know, there's a variety of beliefs around the planet about who God is. And uh, in my book, I deal with uh, evidence from science, philosophy, history that point toward the existence of uh, a divine creator of God. But then the question is, yeah, which God? Are we talking about the God of Islam, the God of uh, Judaism, the God of Christianity, or, you know, who exactly are we talking about? And uh, so I think that is a very important question and one that um, I I dealt with in the book and love to talk about today if you want. Google wasn't around when you were an atheist, I don't think. (laughs) But did this question pop up in your head when you were a a young reporter? Uh, Is God real? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it was really when my wife came to faith. I was an atheist. I started calling myself an atheist way back uh, when I was in high school and college and uh, really had no spiritual curiosity that I was aware of or interest. Um, When my wife gave me the bad news that uh, she had become a Christian, um, I thought, you know what, I could probably disprove the the Christianity uh, in a long weekend. Because even I, as a skeptic, realize that uh, the faith is hinged on the question of, did Jesus claim to be the Son of God and back up that claim by returning from the dead? So the resurrection is really the key. And so I spent two years of my life trying to investigate the evidence historically for the resurrection of Jesus, coming to the conclusion that the evidence is clear and compelling, it's powerful, it's persuasive. And, um, and then that kind of solved the question of which God are we talking about? Because if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then Christianity is true. And by default, every other contradictory faith system in the world is not true. Yeah, because both can't be true. It, That's it, right. Just, it, either, um, they're either all false or Christianity is true or they're true, but they can't both be true at the same time. You quote a lot of atheists, particularly at the beginning of the book, and people, even people who've gone away from the faith. Yeah. Uh, and Ricky Gervais is one of them in Why I'm yes. an Atheist from the Wall Street Journal. Believing in yeah. something doesn't make it true. Hoping that something is true doesn't make it true. The existence of God is not subjective. He either exists or he doesn't. It's not a matter of opinion. And you agree right. with that. Totally. He's absolutely right. Um, And yet it was odd when he talked about why he became a skeptic. Um, He said as a child, he believed in God. And uh, then one day his brother um, asked him why he believed in God. And and, uh, his mother kind of jumped in and said, "Don't, don't talk about that. And he realized, wait a minute, my brother doesn't believe there's a God. My mom, I don't think she really believes. So he just stopped believing. And, and he was fi- able to find um, uh, things that supported his skepticism, his atheism, and he remains an atheist to this day. Yeah. 
and talks about it too, and yeah. and has some some engaging conversations. And I'll be, always they go into come uh, a humorous vein, yeah. but it's clear that he's still haunted by that question, or it yes. still is guiding him in a in a certain mm-hmm. way, right? Yeah, and a lot of these people, I, mean, I think of uh, Charles Templeton, who was the pulpit partner with Billy Graham in the early days, and how he l- lost his faith wrote a very ugly book called Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith, and became the most famous skeptic in Canada. Um, and yet, as I talk about in this book, and by the way, I interviewed him when he was an atheist. And um, when I asked him about Jesus, uh, he began to cry uh, right in my interview. And, and I never had this happen before. And I was stunned. And um, he said, uh, Oh, Jesus, well, if I may put it this way, and then he choked up and he began to cry. He said, I miss him. I miss him. And um, in my book, I reveal the rest of the story, which is that uh, there's good evidence that he did come back to faith uh, on his deathbed. Uh, So I hope that that's true. But um, so, yeah, we see people who who maintain that they don't believe in God, and yet they talk about God a lot. And um, there is that underlying curiosity uh, that I think we've all got to one degree or the other. That thing you mentioned at the beginning, you know, 200 times a second around the clock, someone on the planet is typing into a computer search engine, basically the question, is God real? Well, that's a lot of folks and a lot of curiosity. Yeah. And you have dealt with it in this new book. And I'm going to go through it with Lee Strobel today, Is God Real? Exploring the Ultimate Question of Life. But I'm also going to open the lines because you may have a question. You may be an atheist. You say, hey, here's my question, big block for me. Or you have a friend or family member and you want to ask a question. 877-548-3675. Is God real? More straight ahead. Strobel is a New York Times bestselling author whose books have sold millions of copies. I knew him before he was Lee Strobel, a former atheist. He served as a teaching pastor at three of America's largest churches. He and his wife, Leslie, have been married more than 50 years. That can't be right because Leslie's still in her 40s, so this must be a misprint. <laughs> I want to talk about the, uh, the thing at Colorado Christian, but the book is, Is God Real? Exploring the Ultimate Question of Life. And answer that question about deconstruction, because we hear a lot about deconstruction, and there's some good writers writing about that now. I'm glad for it. You talk about it in the book. But you say that you you deconstructed your atheism. Tell me right. about it. Well, here I was, a skeptic. My wife had become a believer. I saw some positive changes in her life and her values and the way she related to me and the kids. So that was kind of winsome and attractive. But I was still an atheist. I still wanted the old Leslie back. I still wanted our old life back. And so uh, I thought, how can I um, uh, investigate whether or not God is real? And uh, of course, back then, we didn't have the resources that we've got today. We didn't have the internet, which helps. And uh, there's a lot of popular level books these days that deal with the question of um, evidence for God. But there wasn't much back then. So I ended up um, spending a lot of time in libraries and doing interlibrary loans to try to get books published from the 1800s and going to museums and calling up uh, experts and interviewing them over the phone. Um, and uh, I, as I said earlier, I focused a lot of my research on the resurrection because I realized that if, if I could disprove the resurrection, I've disproved Christianity. But 
honestly, if I were an atheist today, I would personally, this is just me, but if I were an atheist today, I would be convinced that God is real based on the scientific evidence that we didn't really have in popular culture back in the late 70s and early 80s when I did my investigation. Um, I think the science today points more persuasively toward the existence of God than ever before. So if that's true, then why isn't Dawkins and why aren't the the, the new atheists and the old atheists card-carrying God followers or believers? Yeah, we all have our reasons uh, for not believing. Um, you know, the Bible talks about this. Uh, it says in Romans 1 verse 20 that we can look at creation and we know just from creation that God exists, that God is real, and we see his power and so forth from creation. In fact, it says it's so evident that we're without excuse. And yet uh, the tendency of people is to suppress that. Why? Because we want to be God. We want to make our own decisions. We want to rule our lives and so forth. We don't want somebody else telling us what to do. And so it's interesting, the Greek, when it talks about the way we suppress the evidence for God, the imagery is like a pedal. So it's like a, a pedal on a car. So the the evidence for God creeps up and we begin to recognize it, but then we suppress it. We, we push down the pedal. And then later, uh, the evidence for God kind of pops up again and we, we push it down again like a pedal. That's, that's our human tendency to do. And, you know, as a friend of mine likes to say, if, if you don't want to believe, then any objection is good enough. Yes. Okay, so walk me through the book, or before you walk me through, yeah, how did this come about? What what was the was was this quite? You, did you you go on a search engine? You see see how many people <laughs> ask this question and say, "Well, I got to answer that one." Well, where, yeah. how did it come about? Well, this is the only book I've done a bunch of books, and this is the only one where the publisher came to me. And they said, our tech people have discovered something interesting. And they gave me the statistic about 200 people a second uh, asking this question. And I thought, oh, my goodness, if there's that much curiosity um, and, and that, that many people who are seeking answers, um, golly, maybe I should do a book that kind of puts all in one place. So I, I draw from some of my earlier stuff, a lot of new stuff, and kind of put it all in one place where people can access the evidence from science, from philosophy and history that points toward not just a, a generic God being real, but the God of Christianity being real. But the first hurdle is the creator, you know, yes. God, capital G, the cosmos, we right. need a creator. How, where did you go to f figure that out? I mean, to me, uh, if there's one category of evidence that today, if I were still an atheist, would convince me that God exists, it is the origin of the universe, what we call cosmology. And the reason is, in the last 50 years or so, scientists have come up with a, a bunch of new uh, discoveries that tell us convincingly that the universe is not eternal, but it began to exist at some point in the past. Um, and virtually every scientist says that. In fact, Alexander Vilenkin, who's the head of the Co uh, Institute of Cosmology at Tufts University, says basically the evidence is now firmly in place. The universe began to exist. Well, this leads to a, a logical argument for God's existence, which is basically this. Number one, um, whatever begins to exist has a cause. Number two, we now know the universe began to exist at some point in the past. Therefore, the universe must have a cause behind it. But then you ask yourself, okay, wait a minute. What kind of a cause could bring a universe into existence? 
Well, number one, it must be transcendent, which means it would be apart or separate from creation. It must be eternal or timeless because it's existed before physical time came into being. It must be spirit or immaterial because it, it um, existed before the material world was created. It must be powerful given the immensity of the creation event must be smart given the precision of the creation event, must be personal because I had to make the decision to create, must be creative because my goodness, just look at nature and how creative it is, must be loving or caring because he's so carefully crafted a habitat for us to flourish in. And then the scientific principle of Occam's razor would tell us there'd be just one creator. So what do we got? Transcendent, eternal, spirit, powerful, smart, personal, creative, loving, unique, that is a picture of the God of the Bible. Hmm. And this is a powerful argument. I, Again, speaking just personally, if I was still an atheist, this would convince me that there is a creator, that God exists. And a fine tuner as well. One of the yes. chapters is the universe needs a fine tuner. What do you mean right. by that? Oh, my goodness. The universe, imagine this. Imagine you're in the Rocky Mountains, because I'm here in Colorado right now, and it's a summer night. And you go out outside and you look up at the sky, expecting to see thousands of stars. But on this night, you don't see thousands of stars. On this night, you see 50 to 100 giant dials in the universe, uh, in the sky. And each one of these dials could be calibrated to one of trillions or trillions of possible settings. And yet every single one of these dials is perfectly calibrated so that life can exist. That is the picture that modern physics gives us of our universe. In other words, the numbers that govern the operation of the universe, the values and the, and the, um, uh, 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 of science that, that, um, allow us to exist, so to speak, um, are calibrated in a mind-boggling way that rules out the possibility it could have happened by chance because the numbers are so ridiculously outrageous. Uh, I'll give you just one example. Um, uh, one of the dials is the ratio between the electromagnetic force and the gravitational force. Okay, that's kind of complicated, but you don't need to know much about that other than it needs to be perfectly calibrated so life can exist. Well, how finely tuned is it? This dial is finely tuned to one part in 10,000 trillion, trillion, trillion. <laughs> now, how can we understand that number? Well, the astrophysicist Hugh Ross said, okay, imagine this. Imagine a continent the size of North America with dimes piled on it all the way up to the moon, 238,000 miles. Okay, got that in your head. Now imagine a thousand North Americas with dimes piled up to the moon, okay? Now imagine a billion continents the size of North America with dimes piled up 238,000 miles. Now imagine taking one dime at random and spray painting it red and then mixing it among all these dial, among all these dimes, among the billion uh, continents of North America, uh, and then blindfolding someone and saying, you can rummage your run all these dimes, 238,000 miles high among a billion continents, but you can only reach in one time and you can only pick out at random one dime. What is the chance it would be the dime that had been spray painted red? It'd be one chance in 10,000 trillion, trillion, trillion. 
Which leads people to say that it takes more faith to believe that there is no God than there is, right? I, I totally get that. I mean, just science. And, and then you look at, at uh, DNA, the information that is in every cell in our body. We have, we have um, what is it, 100 trillion cells in our body. And if you were to open up any cell at random and uncoil the DNA, you would be six feet tall. And embedded in that DNA is a four-letter chemical alphabet that spells out the precise assembly instructions out of which our bodies are made. Um, now, just as English uses a 26-letter alphabet, uh, uh, DNA uses a four-letter chemical alphabet to spell out this information. And the point is this. This is information. Um, nature cannot produce information by itself. Uh, it can produce patterns. So, you know, um, if you're walking along a, a beach uh, on the ocean at dawn and in the wet sand, you see ripple marks. You would say, oh, well, this, the, the waves made those ripple marks in the sand because nature can produce patterns. But if you're walking down the beach and in the wet sand, you see John loves Mary and a heart around it and an arrow through it, you wouldn't say, oh, the waves created that. Why? Because that is information. And whenever we see information, and by the way, there's more information in every cell in your body than in 200 years of the Sunday New York Times. So whenever you see information, there is always an intelligence behind it, whether it's a computer code or a book or a painting on a cave wall, there's always an intelligence behind it. So if you look at these, just these three categories of science, the origin of the universe, the fine tuning of the universe, the information biologically in DNA, I think it makes a powerful case that there is a divine creator. Of course, then that leaves open the issue, well, which creator are we talking about? Right. And then you look at the resurrection to say, oh, if Jesus claimed to be the son of God and proved it by returning from the dead, then Christianity must be true. You know, the, the practical application of what you're just talking about has come back to me as we've talked about the pro-life issue. You know, yes. next week is the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, obviously right. overturned. And now, you know, it's a different, different universe, different world, different yeah. uh, battles, you know, and local. But I used to think that with with the technology, that all you really needed to do is show people this is what this yes. being, this you call it a blob of tissue, but this is yeah. what this looks like in utero. Yes. And still there is this rock rib belief, no, abortion is health care, and that's not a baby until it, you know, for some people, until it's out of the birth canal, you know, and even all for some, months. not even then yet, right? Yeah. So it's not just the information, and I bring that back to this about God. You could yeah. use all of that, and there's almost a sense of, yeah, but the, and I don't know that it, it for everyone that it's the moral thing, you know, that mm -hmm. God makes, you know, God is there, and so He doesn't want me to have fun with my life, and I want to have fun, so I'm not going to mm -hmm. believe in Him. For some, that's true. For others, it really is this intellectual thing. I think that they're they're trying to be honest with themselves, but it, when you come against that mountain of evidence that you've written about here, it I don't understand. I don't understand how you could not at least entertain the fact that, you know, yeah, there was something intelligent that brought this all about. Yeah, I, I think, you know, a lot of people, maybe all of us, um, all, uh, initially, we want to come to God on our terms. Uh, we're willing to embrace God 
if he doesn't violate our social conscience or what we think ought to be true about how we live our lives and our opinions about things like abortion or uh, other matters. And, and, and if, if God agrees with me on that stuff, if he will come to me in a sense and my terms, then I'll be open to him. Uh, when I think we got to come and say, is God real, first of all? And if he is, golly, we ought to listen to him. <laughs> we ought to pay attention uh, to what he teaches. You know, and I think the abortionary, you know, when I was an atheist um, in college, I helped orchestrate an abortion uh, for a young woman who was boyfriend and got her pregnant and walked out on her. And she came to me and didn't know what to do. And and I said, well, if, if, uh, if the baby's in your way, you just get rid of it. I mean, that's no problem. Abortion was legal in New York at the time. I'll, I'll arrange it for you. We'll get the money together. Don't worry about it. If the baby's in your way, you get rid of it. And uh, so I helped orchestrate the destruction of that innocent unborn child who'd done nothing wrong but get in somebody's way. Mm. And uh, you know what? Didn't bother me one iota until I realized God is real. And I realized Jesus proved by his resurrection that he is the son of God. And therefore, his teachings are determinative. And when he says that we are made in his image, when he talks about how precious life is um, and how um, we're knit together in our mother's womb, and he is, a, you know, all these passages that point to the, uh, the value of unborn life, um, I was horribly convicted of that. I, and um, when I came to faith, repented of the sin I committed. And uh, now one of my ministries is to help raise money for crisis pregnancy centers around the country uh, to buy um, ultrasound machines to help people see with their yes. own eyes how valuable this life is inside of them. That's Lee Strobel. Is God real? That's our featured resource today, chrisfabrylive.org. Our number is 877-548-3675. More straight ahead. Is God Real? You can talk with Lee Strobel today. Let me give you the number again, 877-548-3675. There's somebody who has a friend or family member who has this question, doesn't believe in God, and you want to talk with Lee. I'm just going to say it's your opportunity, 877-548-3675. You just heard Lee give a personal story. Jill Marquis talked about hers yesterday if you heard her just tell the truth about her pregnancy, that she didn't want to complicate her life and the decision she made all alone, that she paid cash for because she didn't want anybody to know about it. Fast forward a lot of years, and yesterday she talked with us because she is CareNet's Director of Abortion Recovery and Care. <laughs> and I bet she wants to hear from you, Lee, because... They have this program, that, and, and the big knock against pro-life people is you only care about the baby in utero. Right. You don't care anymore. So here's a group of, you know, and they, they still do the counseling and helping uh, women and men. They still help them walk through this really difficult time in their life, but they're also helping those who made that decision a long time ago and feel guilt and feel shame and, yes. and are, you know, the lingering emotional effects. Right. So if you don't do anything else after this program today, click the green CareNet button 
at chrisfabrylive.org. As Elise says, he speaks around the country to help raise money. And CareNet is doing that work. There are a group of something like 1,200 centers around the country who do that and have these ministries. Somebody you know is going to need or needs now the ministry of CareNet. So click the green button, chrisfabrylive.org. Click CareNet right there. And um, I'm glad you I'm glad you told that story, Lee, because you didn't have to do that. Mm. And um, but that's what um, she was saying yesterday. What Jill was saying was there are so many men who have been told yes. for decades to shut up and sit down. This is not you. And she said that is just not true. You know, it was so hard on me. Even after I came to faith in Christ and I knew that I was forgiven for what I had done, played my role in this, um, I still felt guilt and I still felt remorse. And and so what I did one day is I sat down and I wrote a letter to the child whose mm. life I helped destroy. And in that letter, I admitted what I did. I said I was sorry. I said, I wish I could go back and do it again, change, you know, obviously take a different approach and, and, and save the child. And, and, um, I said, I look forward to being in heaven with you someday and getting to know you. And, uh, I kept that piece of paper in the upper drawer of my desk for years because it just would remind me, um, of this. And then, you know what happened? I lost it. And I don't know how I lost it. It was in my desk for years. And then all of a sudden it was gone. And I thought, you know, isn't that just like God? that he would allow me to lose that piece of paper because the Bible says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions and remembers your sin no more. I think, honestly, it was just God's way of saying, Lee, you've been forgiven. And uh, you know what? I've forgotten, in a sense, that it ever happened. And um, um, I want you to feel the peace of my forgiveness and and the joy of my salvation. And... um, so I, you know what I, that gets us to? to. You know what that gets us to, Lee, is mm. is the cross because what what yes. you were feeling there was okay. This is God didn't audibly say this to you, but this has yep. been cared for. You don't have yes. to hang on to this anymore. You don't have to walk around with his weight anymore. Right. And that's what uh, Jill was saying yesterday. That she she's used it against what the enemy wants. You know, to kill, mm-hmm. steal, and destroy. But the truth of the matter is that the empty tomb is so important. And I heard uh, Ben Shapiro, you know, f- famous Jewish person who's talking mm-hmm. about talking about Christianity. And he said, I don't get why you believe that the resurrection proves that Jesus was God or is God. Yeah. Um, what, what do you say to people who say that? Yeah, first thing I say is great question. Um, second thing I say is this was my objection too when I began to look into it. And then I, and I'm reading in Scripture, John 10, verse 30, uh, Jesus gets up before a group of people and he says, I and the Father are one. And the Greek word there for one is not masculine, it's neuter, which means Jesus was not saying I and the Father are the same person. He was saying I and the Father are the same thing. We're one in nature. We're one in essence. And and how did the audience understand what he was saying? They picked up stones to kill him because they realized they said, you, you're just a man and you're claiming to be God. So they recognized that he was claiming to be God. But so what? I could claim to be God. You could, well, maybe not you. Um, anybody, <laughs> anybody can claim that they're God. But if Jesus claimed to be God, died, and then three days later rose from the dead, 
that's pretty good evidence he was telling the truth about his identity of being the son of God. I mean, why, if God is real, and I think the evidence from my book from science and so forth show that there is a God, if God is real, why would he resurrect someone if he was a liar, if he was claiming to be God and he's not, why in the world would God allow him to be resurrected from the dead? Um, so I think this, the resurrection vindicates the claim of Jesus that he is the son of God. And I think it's interesting that this Jewish audience that he was talking to when he said, I and the father are one, one in essence, one in nature, they recognize, oh, you're claiming to be God. And, and so he's making that claim um, and the resurrection vindicated and, and, and established the truth of his claim. Let me go to Connie, who's in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hi, Connie. You're on with Lee I love Strobel. Chattanooga. Hey. Hey. Hi. So glad to talk to you all today. Yes, your ministry has meant so much to me, and every time I hear you on the radio, I become even more burdened for my friend who is a medical doctor. She's a very angry atheist, mm. and I've thought for so long that I should write her a letter, and then I thought, what? What would you advise me to say? Should I send her a case for the case for Christ? I mean, what? How can I speak to her? She is not just yeah. an atheist, but an angry atheist. Yeah. Well, it's a great question, and so many of us have people in our lives who are adamant atheists. My brother, who uh, unfortunately died of COVID, um, was an adamant atheist, even more adamant than I was. And I, I hope that in his final waning hours before he died, I hope he reached out for God's forgiveness and grace. Um, but, uh, I think number one, uh, befriend her, um, be her friend, uh, listen to her, respect her. Um, you know, the Bible, a lot of, a lot of, uh, apologists, which means people who give evidence and reasons for the faith, like to quote First Peter 3.15. says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But they forget the next part, which says, but do it with gentleness and with respect. And so I say, be gentle, be respectful. But um, you could say to her, you know, boy, it's interesting. I know that you're skeptical about God. You don't believe that God exists. I was just listening on the radio to a guy just like you. And, you know, he went to Yale Law School. He knows what evidence is. And um, his wife became a Christian and he wanted to prove that she was wrong. So he spent two years of his life investigating the evidence for God and for Christianity. And it was the strangest thing. He came to believe that it's true. Would you be interested in what convinced him? And then give, him a, give her a copy of Is God Real? And you know what? It may sit on her bookshelf for years until something happens in her life and she picks it up and reads it. I, I know there was one guy who um, uh, came to faith at one of the very early Billy Graham rallies and his brother was an atheist. And he prayed for his brother for 48 years and 348 days, 48 <laughs> years and 348 days. And wow. he had given him a copy of my book, Case for Christ. And on his deathbed, he had read the book and came to faith. Um, so the best you can do is pray for her, ask God to open up her heart, ask God for opportunities where you can reach out to her. If she likes movies, if she likes film, um, maybe um, suggest the movie The Case for Christ, which is a, um, a film a lot of people have come to faith through. And it's a very well done film with Faye Dunaway in it and a lot of other um, uh, you know, well-known and accomplished actors and actresses. 
So I think number one, pray. Number two, um, uh, seek opportunities and maybe use this radio interaction. You could say, I just talked to a guy. (laughs) (laughs) I just talked to this guy who used to be a skeptic. And um, his wife became a Christian. He investigated, became a Christian. Would you be interested in what convinced him? He's written a book about it. I love it that you called in, Connie, um, because in the, I mentioned this book, The Resurrecting Your Dead Prayer Life, there's, uh, Dr. Thrasher says there's something about when you're given a burden for someone or something and that, you know, this is really, it sounds like this is a burden Mm -hmm. for you, that that is, that's something that God implants on your heart, that it's not all up to you, but Prayer is a is the front lines, basically. So I totally agree with what Lee's saying. Does that help you? Yes, so much. Uh, which book do you uh, for for this person who is a very yeah. intelligent lady, yes. very very well read and extremely intelligent and educated? Yes. Which book should I, if I do send a letter and decide to yeah. send the book? Yeah. Which book should I send? The Case for Christ or the the one that you mentioned in your when you were talking? I would say Is God Real, the new book, and I'll tell you why. You know, the way I approach these books, I'm not a scholar. And so I go out and I interview scientists and scholars, uh, people who have, um, for instance, in the chapter I did, and I just talked about it, the evidence from the origin of the universe for the existence of God. I interviewed a guy with a, a, who got his PhD in that, um, um, where was it? Uh, Oxford or Cambridge? I can't remember. Major universities. Uh, he has two PhDs. Um, so these are brilliant people. The guy I interviewed on the fine tuning universe got his PhD in physics from UCLA and is a professor at a major uh, secular university. The guy who I interviewed on the DNA evidence got his PhD from Cambridge University. So these are recognized scholars who are brilliant people. Um, the guy he interviewed in the resurrection got his PhD on the resurrection, the historicity of the resurrection from the University of Pretoria in South Africa. So these are brilliant intellectuals, but I see my role in the kingdom of God as kind of being a translator because mm-hmm. I was a journalist. So I, I interview them. I ask them the tough questions I had when I was a skeptic and what other skeptics are asking. And then I try to put the cookies on the bottom shelf so that we can all understand it. Cause I figure if I can understand it, anybody can understand it. And um, so um, this is not information that is coming from me. This is information coming from recognized credential scholars who've published in peer reviewed journals. And, uh, and I'm merely the conduit to put it, the cookies on the bottom shelf. The title is, is God real exploring the ultimate question of life Connie, thanks a lot for your question. You know question. what, Connie? Connie, if you can give the producer offline your address, I'll um, send a copy and I'll sign it for your friend um, so that when you give it to her, you know, it can be personalized. Send a box. You want to send a box of <laughs> a case? Every time I heard a case for faith, I thought, oh, they're sending a book, a case, a whole case of these books. Uh, okay, Connie, so you hang on. Trisha's going to get your information. Uh, we have to deal with the, another question when we come back, and that is suffering. If God is real, why do we see everything that we see out there? We're going to talk about that straight ahead. Lee Strobel has written, Is God Real? It's our featured resource. Go to chrisfabrylive.org. I knew this would be a difficult program because there's just so much to talk about with Lee Strobel. 
who is the author of Is God Real? Exploring the Ultimate Question of Life. I was going to talk about what is going on at the Lee Strobel for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University. We'll see if we have time. I've got to get to the suffering thing because there was somebody that you interviewed. It may have been Templeton who mm-hmm. said he lost his faith when he saw a picture of a woman in Africa holding her dead child, and the only reason why she was in this situation was because it hadn't rained there. Mm-hmm. And how could a God exist and allow that to happen? Yeah. So what do, you, what do you do with suffering? This is the number one question. Uh, that people ask, the number one objection. If God is real, why is there suffering? And I get it because we live in a world of suffering in many ways, and and we wonder how can we reconcile that uh, with the existence of God? And I think we have to go back and we have to say this. Uh, God has existed from eternity past as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in a perfect love relationship. And so love is the greatest value in the universe. And when God decided to create humankind, he wanted us to experience love, to love each other and to love him. Well, the only way that he could do that is if he gave us free will. And the reason is love always involves a choice. You know, when my daughter was little, they used to have a doll called Chatty Cathy and uh, had a string on the back and you pull the string and let go and the doll would talk to you. So I gave her this doll at Christmas. She pulls the string and lets go and the doll says, I love you. (laughs) Now, did that doll love my daughter? No, of course not. It's a mechanical device. It was programmed to say that it had no choice. Love always involves a choice. And so what have we done with the free will that God has given us? We've turned our back on God. We've turned our back on each other. You know, you look at that woman who was starving in Africa in that picture that um, uh, Charles Templeton cited, and you say, wait a minute. Um, we produce enough food on this planet to provide every man, woman, and child with 10,000 calories a day. So why are people suffering? Because we're selfish, because we don't care enough to provide food to people who are starving. And so God did not create evil and suffering, but he did give us free will. We have, by actualizing that, we have uh, invited evil and suffering into our world. Um, and, And the Bible says that that uh, it's affected all of creation. The creation groans, waiting for ultimate redemption. Um, and, and Jesus was honest about this. You know, not all religious leaders are honest about this. If you study Eastern religions, they'll tell you that suffering is not real. It's maya. That means it's an illusion. Well, baloney, it's not an illusion. It's very real. But Jesus, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he said, have courage because I have overcome the world. And so what's he saying there? He's saying, look, because of sin in this world, um, there's uh, there's illness, there's disease, there's selfishness, there's murders, there's betrayals, there's all kinds of sin and and suffering that results from that. Um, But he's saying if we turn to him, um, we can find uh, hope. We can find a future. We can find redemption. In fact, you know, one of the verses that uh, Christians like to quote when someone is suffering is Romans 8.28. And sometimes we do it kind of flippantly. Uh, Romans 8.28 says that that uh, God can cause all things to work together for good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. And sometimes we kind of, somebody tells us, oh, I've had this bad medical news. It's, oh, well, you know, Romans 8.28, God can, and we say, well, wait a minute. Um, can God really take my suffering and draw good from it in this world or the next. And look at it this way. 
God has taken the worst possible thing that could ever happen in the history of the universe, which is the death of the Son of God on a cross. And from that, he has created the best possible thing that has ever happened in the universe, which is the opening of heaven to all who follow him. So if God can take the worst thing in the history of the universe and from that create the best thing that's ever happened in the universe, he can take our sufferings. Mm. And he can draw good from them. And I think most of us can look back even on our life and the sufferings that we've gone through. And we can see if we're honest about ways that God has used it. I mean, I think of my wife who has a neuromuscular condition. She's been in pain for 20 years, every single day. And she will be in pain every single day for the rest of her life because it's an incurable condition unless God does a miracle, which is not chosen to do. And so she's suffering. But I see so many, and she sees so many ways that God has used that in her life to sensitize her to the suffering of other people. She's become more loving, more empathetic, more caring, um, more serving of others who are suffering in a way that maybe wouldn't be true if she hadn't had this happen to her. I think of Johnny Erickson Tata, who was paralyzed in a diving accident when she was a teenager. She'd been in a wheelchair for 50, over 50 years. And she said to me once, she said, Lee, I would rather be in my wheelchair my whole life knowing God than walking around not knowing him. In other words, if that's what it took for me to come to faith, I thank God for that accident in my life. So this is a complicated question. It's a difficult question. Every worldview, by the way, including atheism, needs to deal with this. And I think Christianity has the best answer. And I have a chapter in my book, Is God Real?, that really goes into this in depth. And I think gives satisfying answers, especially to people who are suffering themselves. The other question, if, if God is real, why is he so hidden? Why can't, yeah. you know, I, and, and we don't have time to do that today, but I'm glad we've had this conversation just to kind of whet your appetite. And if you want more great resource, Lee Strobel's Is God Real? Exploring the Ultimate Question of Life. We have a link to it. Just click through today, uh, the the information for today's program there at chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. I'm still thinking about the dimes, and (laughs) you said bologna, and it made me hungry. So (laughs) everything comes together with you, Lee. Come Uh, back and see us. Don't let it be so long, and don't get sick, and keep... Keep that 30 pounds <laughs> off. You sound great. <laughs> Thanks so much. Love to do it again. <laughs> That's Lee Strobel. You know, the other thing I was taken uh, by Lee was that letter that he wrote, the, that unborn child, and stuffed away in it. And I, there's something there. we, we got to come back to that and talk about that more. But uh, we're going to call a timeout for right now and come back at the Radio Backyard Fence and have another conversation tomorrow. Go to the website again. Click CareNet. You can support us right there. You can find out about Is God Real? Just go to chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. Thanks for your support. Thanks for listening. And thank you for knowing that Chris Fabry Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute, online chrisfabrylive.org.